Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Almost screwed up the name of the show on World Soccer Talk. Big Monday episode of the program for you. Hope you had a wonderful soccer weekend or football or calcio or whatever you possibly, whatever you call it. However you spell it, whatever whatever form it takes. Well, we usually talk about the outdoor form on the big field with the grass. Sometimes it's turf, but most of the time it's grass. We don't really talk about indoor. Should we like open up the floor and talk a little a little indoor soccer, a little futsal here? I think there was some like playoffs in indoor soccer. There's a couple of people I follow on Twitter who are still interested in that. I never got into indoor soccer. I know it's fast paced and well, like it's like three pointers, right? Somebody needs to explain indoor soccer to me because it seems to be a solely American phenomenon and we're still doing it somehow. It's still going on despite the fact that we have MLS and NESL and USL and all of these other things happening. Speaking of MLS, today's program will be MLS heavy. Our friend Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer will join us to talk about the MLS weekend. Lots and lots of storylines. It starts perhaps with David Villa and NYCFC debuting there at Yankee Stadium in front of 43,000 people, but also includes some bad refereeing, some decisions that changed games. We'll talk about those things. We'll talk about some good teams in terms of FC Dallas, maybe the Columbus crew and their win over TFC, which is where one of the questionable calls occurred. And to get the insight that's needed on New York City FC starting life at home, in front of that big crowd with a win over New England. Raf Naboa E. Rivera will join us. He is the managing editor at Hudson River Blue at SB Nation, the blog that covers the blog that covers that team for that blog network. Does excellent work over there. We can do headlines now. That's what we should do now. I'll start again with MLS David Villa scoring a goal, setting up a goal for Patrick Mullins in a New York win. I'm sorry, a city win. I can't call them New York. There's already a New York team. Maybe I'll get into some of that a little bit later. David Villa, uh, an excellent performance, obviously coming off of a, a, a questionable performance against Orlando, although a lot of that was about service, the inability of the team to get him the ball. They obviously fixed some of those issues, perhaps brought on by New England's deficiencies. But a wonderful day out at Yankee Stadium. The pitch held up relatively well. It wasn't pretty. It was short, it was narrow. It was a little short. By the way, that the, the 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 narrowness of that field at Yankee Stadium necessitated by the the space restraints, obviously, seventy yards, the smallest allowed under FIFA regulations, but not the only seventy yard wide field in MLS. If, and I'm sorry, it's the only source I have right now. If Wikipedia is to be believed, I don't know. Did did Houston widen their field when Dom Kinnear left? Because that man was notorious for wanting a very narrow field. And when I checked on these stats, Houston also had a seventy yard wide field. Maybe they've changed that now. Maybe no Owen Coyle wants a little bit more width down down there in Houston. So if I, that's changed, let me know. But they, but NYCFC is obviously playing it on a small field. Uh, it, it it did not it did not hurt them too much. May have hurt New England. Uh, other results around the league again. We'll talk about all of this with Kyle McCarthy in just a little bit. But you had Columbus beating uh, TFC two nothing with uh, that questionable penalty call against Justin Morrow. You had a fantastic game out in Utah. 
Philadelphia and Real Salt Lake drawing 3-3. Although that game, probably uh, some Union fans feeling aggrieved about that game today. Very questionable penalty called on Marisa Du. That gave Real Salt Lake the opportunity to, bra- to draw level in that game and get a point out of it. And San Jose shocking Seattle. Just a bit. Not sure we all had. I'm not sure anybody had that game picked that way, especially when Clint Dempsey scores 18 seconds into the match. I'm not sure if that was the fastest goal. Maybe the fastest goal in, in Seattle history, like third fastest in MLS history, something like that. The Premier League had a full weekend as well. City falling to Burnley. Good on Burnley, uh, helping their chances of staying up in the Premier League this season. Meanwhile, City takes a big hit. In terms of the Premier League title race, you would think that Chelsea is feeling pretty good, but then they went and split the points this weekend with Southampton 1-1 at, at Stamford Bridge. I know that Jose Mourinho is out there saying that Arsenal still in the title race. They had a big win, 3-0 over West Ham. I don't believe that for a second. This is Jose. I mean, look, he's, he can't say, and any coach would be reticent to say that his team's going to win the title at this point. But he's got to know the inside track belongs to Chelsea. 64 points, Manchester City on 58. Arsenal one point back of City on 57. And then Manchester United, who also had a big win this weekend over Tottenham, is on 56. Great game by United. A great performance by United. The kind of thing that gives you, if you're a United fan, gives you hope that they can actually put something together here. Lock up one of those Champions League spots. It hasn't been an easy season. It may not be easy the rest of the way. And I haven't looked at their fixture list, but I imagine you're feeling pretty good if you're a United fan today. I mentioned Sunderland. Well, maybe I didn't. Villa crushed Sunderland and Gus Boyette lost his job because of it or because of poor results in general. And in that vein, thought I'd take a look at the, the odds on who might be the next Sunderland manager. Dick Advocat, 8 to 15 odds, very short odds there. He's uh, he's the uh, big favorite. Sam Allardyce 13 to 2, Michael Lodge up 13 to 2. This is all from Patty Power by the way, not to give them a free plug. Uh Harry Redknapp 10 to 1, Neil Lennon 10 to 1, 12 to 1, excuse me, Glenn Hoddle, and then down there all at 16 to 1. So not great odds, but still Ben Olsen. What? Ben Olsen, DC United's head coach. On this list, and ahead of guys like Bob Bradley, who's always connected to these England jobs at the lower level, thirty-three to one, Bob Bradley. Also thirty-three to one, Bruce Arena. So there's your American connection. I don't think any of those guys are getting that job, but there they are listed anyway. If you want to throw down a bet, the United States U-17s beat Jamaica on penalties to advance or to lock up their place rather in the 2015 U-17 World Cup in Chile later this year. Uh, It wasn't easy for the U-17s, and we can talk about whether or not they're making progress, whether they should be getting into the World Cup by the skin of their teeth and doing it against Jamaica. But Richie Williams and this team got the job done. Very happy for the kids and happy for Richie Richie Williams, who is uh, a guy that uh, seems to have a bright future in terms of, of, of coaching, but again, questionable throughout this tournament, not as dominant as you would like to see them. I was going to talk about this Latan Ibrahimovic story. I'm not sure there's a whole lot here, apparently, bashing the French a little bit in a post-game press conference or a post-game comments, and then having to backtrack because, hey, you can't insult this, the country in which you play. Something about PSG, the French don't deserve PSG, et cetera, et cetera. 
Really? Okay. In Spain, Gareth Bale scored twice in a Real Madrid 2-0 win over Levante. Big win for Real Madrid puts them one point within one point of Barcelona ahead of El Clasico this coming weekend. And speaking of that, if you're looking to get in on La Liga or you want to see El Clasico, this is what you need to do. You need to go, buy, no, need to, go to www. Why do I say that? Dishworld.com. I don't need the www, do I? Do we still do that? Empty domains to work, right? <laughs> go check out Dishworld anyway. You, get, uh, you not only get BN Sport, which is where you'll find El Clasico, but you also get One World Sport, which as far as I know, is the only place to see the New York Cosmos play. So check that out. It's an awesome streaming service. I've tried it out many times myself. This is not, uh, uh, this is not uh, just something I, I'm coming up with um, without having reviewed this myself. So there you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get further into those MLS results. Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer inside MLS over there. He'll give us his take on all of the weekend's happenings. It's Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Every soccer fan in the world knows that the biggest match of the year is El Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's your chance to witness Cristiano Ronaldo, Lido Messi, and more of the greatest players in the world. The best way to watch is with Dish World and their exclusive broadcast from BN Sports. Dish World is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch El Clasico, plus La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dish World. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss El Clasico on Sunday, March 22nd. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Hey there, it's Jason Davis, and if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com. This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game, and second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play fantasy Premier League and winning nada, you can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking MLS week number two with Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer inside MLS. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Jason. How are you? How are you? I I heard it was cold. You were at Yankee Stadium for NYCFC and the New England Revolution yesterday, and I heard it was cold up there. It was a lovely day here in D.C. Was it a little chilly in the press box? It was a little frigid, uh, but what I did was I, I managed to get through it. I wrote really quickly uh, <laughs> to, to keep those fingers working, 
Uh, and then I went to Shake Shack after. Yeah, I saw so you I tweeting about that. I feel like that, that makes everything better. <laughs> I saw you tweeting about that. Capping off a, an interesting day. Certainly not good uh, for the team that you cover up in, uh, on your beat in, uh, in New England. But a great day for NYCFC, David Villa. Showing us, um, you know, showing all of that ability and showing us why NYCFC made him their first uh, high-profile signing. Could it have gone better? I mean, it, it certainly looked like uh, NYCFC was was feeling the crowd up there. It, it went very well indeed for NYCFC. There were there were a few hiccups, obviously, and you have to expect that. I mean, there were there were fans stuck outside the gates for for long stretches yesterday, and there were some. Uh, some little flourishes that weren't quite there. Uh, but NYCFC took care of business on the field. Uh, they managed to survive a, a real barracking from the Reds in the, the final 25 minutes in the first half and and somehow found a way through. And, and they were better team in the second half and, and managed to get their, their inaugural victory. Yeah, look, I mean, it was 2 nothing, and, and Villa was uh, was obviously great. Ned Grabovoy with the assist and then setting up Patrick Mullins, who I think that was his first touch uh, coming on as a substitute. Um, but you also had a lot of missed chances. I mean, this was obviously an early season MLS game. What did you see from NYCFC that was perhaps a little different uh, from what they did last week in Orlando and in, in, in a game that, that Villa really wasn't involved? Yeah, I, I thought that there were a lot of similarities, but I thought in the second half it was, it was better for him because in the first half they, they gave too much space to Chris Tierney on the left. Uh, they had problems with their defensive spacing. Uh, but they made some changes at halftime and, and fixed that issue, reduced the Revolution's ability to get balls into the box. And if NYCFC can find that that solid defensive core and keep that that ability to to manage possession, uh, I think they'll be in decent shape. Uh, both Josh Saunders and Bobby Shuttleworth called into action on numerous occasions and acquitted themselves pretty well. Could have been a could have been a much bigger scoreline either way. I mean, obviously the Revs will be disappointed not to have gotten away with anything at all and certainly not to have scored any goals. Lee Wynn was back on the team, but you're still missing Jermaine Jones. And and defensively, uh, you know, that's uh, that's going to be some there's going to be some question, at least some asking of some questions moving forward. What does Heaps need to do there? Well, it's it's tough because you've got a back four that's trying to congeal and trying to find its footing and you can see that there were still questions about how and when to shift, who and where to step to the ball. Uh, and I think that was pretty apparent on that first goal when, when David Villa starts way out on the left and, and moves inside. The Reds were a, a little bit tentative in trying to figure out who should who should cope with the threat, how they should how they should cut out that one too. And uh, those are things that are going to take some time. Uh, but it's going to get a little bit more complicated next week with Jose Gonzalez ruled out through suspension. Mm. Uh, they're uh, attempting to replace AJ Soares. That's pushed Andrew Farrell into the middle. At least it did yesterday, um, and brings uh, and brings Alston in on the right side. Is is Andrew Farrell a center back? Simply put, yes, uh, I think he is. I think that's where he projects long term. Uh, but he's still getting used to to playing center back at at the MLS level, uh, and I think that uh, comes with reps, and I think that comes with with game situations. I think he'll get there. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring out that partnership with Gonzalez and, and working with that back four to stay connected. Uh, it, it takes a little bit of time, uh, and the Revs, as a defensive unit, aren't there yet. Is, is there any reason? I mean, again, it's it's the second week of the season, Kyle. I mean, a, a couple of a couple of games in the books, you really can't make a whole lot of judgments. They went to Seattle, got thumped. 
Uh, they go to New York in front of a big crowd and, and, and very tough atmosphere to try to get a result without Jermaine Jones. Again, I think that's, that, that's worth mentioning here. And it didn't go so well. But is there any reason to sort of reassess the, the revs at this point? And how, you know, how soon can we, we expect guys to really get in the rhythm? Juan Agadella was, was – he had chances, but he missed them. Yeah, I, I think it's too early to worry about the revs at this point. And I think you would start worrying uh, if they weren't creating the chances. Uh, but they had a boatload yesterday. Uh, they simply just didn't take them. Uh, on another day, they win that game 5-2. So, uh, for the Revs, I think it's a matter of being patient. They've got a manageable game uh, at home uh, to Montreal, a team that's going to probably be distracted with its CONCACAF Champions League uh, obligations. Uh, so, I-, I think for the Revs, it's, a- it's about patience and about trusting in the fact that there's a good squad there uh, and that they'll find a way to, to-, to get things right. Kyle, a lot of things can change between now and playoff time. But if you had to name, and, and I don't know if uh, I don't know if this is a power rankings question or not, but if you had to if you had to pick who the best team in MLS is right now, who would you say it is? Oh wow! I mean, how do you pick after Seattle <laughs> loses to, to San Jose at home? It, it's such it's been such a weird couple of weeks that uh, if you got to pinpoint one, I mean. Where, where do you even start? Because what, how about it, this? It's that, how, it's that crazy, right? Yeah, but how about I give you a candidate and you tell me why they might not be? FC Dallas. Okay. Uh, FC Dallas uh, has done well over the first two weeks. My question is about their identity mm-hmm. going forward uh, because Mauro Diaz has not looked like a great fit in these first two weeks. And for FCD to, to hit its ceiling, I think they need Diaz to play a big part. If they're just going to be that team that, that you know, holds out, uh, rushes forward on the counter, and then relies on Castillo and Perez. Uh, I, I don't see that team as an MLS Cup winner. Okay. Uh, but if you add Diaz in there with that little bit of magistry, then, then maybe something's different there. Okay, fair enough. I mean, uh, there have been teams in this league who have won on counters and set pieces before, Kyle, but there is a long way to go, as I said. And there's certainly uh, something to be determined there in, in Dallas, but they did get... A pretty impressive win over Sporting Kansas City. Now that there's, uh, we're going to get to some some uh, refereeing decisions in the weekend, uh, but there was some of that in, involved in this game. And certainly Perez was offside when he scored the second FC Dallas goal. So, do you take anything away from that on either end of the spe- uh, either end of that that matchup? FC Dallas three one winners or Sporting maybe just not there yet. Sporting's not there yet, and I think it's clear when you look at how that team has performed over the first two weeks. Uh, they're still sorting through some issues in midfield. Uh, they're still trying to find themselves a little bit. I think they'll get there, uh, but that was not a particularly good performance in Frisco on Saturday. Uh, also, again, let me come to to those refereeing decisions. Again, you had Blas Perez obviously offside. Leisman's flat out missed that. It was like four guys for FC Dallas offside on that goal. But the the biggest uh, the biggest controversies of the weekend were in Columbus and in Salt Lake City. And I'll go first to Columbus. TFC comes in on the high of beating Vancouver. Josie Outdoor scores twice. Jovinko looks very, very good. You obviously got Michael Bradley running things in the middle of the field, and, and some things are, are clicking a little bit, at least in one week. And then you get a, a red card, 43rd-minute red card, I think it was, on Justin Morrow for denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, last man back. Um, I didn't think it was, a, I didn't think it was a, a, a red card, Kyle. I didn't think it was even a foul necessarily. I don't know how else you make that tackle if you're in that position. It was a difficult decision, and I thought it was the wrong one. Uh, I understand how you can make that that call in a split second, 
uh, and particularly with the positioning of, of David Gantar, but uh, it was not the correct call, and it, it really hamstrung uh, TFC. Do I necessarily think the Reds were going to go on and get three points from that game? Right. I'm not so sure, mm-hmm. but uh, it really it really left them hamstrung, and Columbus really turned the screws in the second half. Uh, then what do you take away from Columbus's performance? Um, you know, they can feel good about... Uh, about the win, it can feel good about taking down a quote unquote rival. Although I'm not sure that's that goes beyond some fan stuff from a couple years back. But is Columbus? Did Columbus show you the kind of things that will make them a playoff contender? Maybe even a, a team that could finish first or second in the East. I like the ruthlessness in that second half. Uh, they knew that Toronto FC was down to ten men, and and they didn't let them off the hook. They got a couple of goals before the hour uh, and really sorted out the game quickly. And Columbus, especially when you look back at that first week performance in Houston, that defeat, uh, sometimes lacks that cutting edge, that, that nastiness to, to sort out a game when they, when they need to do so. I thought that was a good first step for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to take care of business uh, when presented with the opportunity against TFC. No, look, and, and it's good to have Kai Kamara on the score sheet, his first goal back in MLS and, and for the crew, um, considering that that, you know, and, and obviously you had uh, Justin Merrim as well. It, you can't just rely on, on Federico Higuain chipping a goalkeeper once, uh, once a game. It's going to have to come from the forwards, the guys playing ahead of him, and Kamara is... I mean, we all look at Kamara as the key. Is it is it going to be a, is it going to be that simple in Columbus based on what happened last year? Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that is the case or not. I think Kamara helps him a lot because he stretches the field vertically. Should provide the the midfield with more space to operate, uh, and he's going to get his fair share of goals. He's established in MLS, uh, so. A lot of it will rest on his shoulders, yes. And if his celebration game is any indication, <laughs> uh, then he should be in good shape. Yeah, he is. A, Kai Kamara certainly brings it when it comes to uh, to celebrations. All right, let me go to the other questionable call, at least uh, the the high profile questionable call, and it was the penalty called on Marisa Du um, in Sandy that allowed RSL to get a point out of a, a match they were losing three two at the time. Um, first, you know, we've seen, a, we've seen our, our share of mistakes already, both from keepers, defenders, Brad Evans had a really bad weekend. Maybe we'll get to that. Um, this game was marked by that, but give, I guess, give Philadelphia credit for taking advantage. Weird game, uh, <laughs> weird, weird, weird game. Uh, and it, it's almost appropriate. It was decided by such a awful it was just an awful call at the end there uh, to allow uh, Severio to, to to equalize in the late stages, and it's just one of those games where you could you could just plot out the summary and 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 still look back at it and think, wow, that was that was just really really peculiar, and that and that's what it was. Well, I, I, okay, let me let me see. I'm again, I don't want to draw any grand conclusions here, but you had I'm going to try this Estergueta. I have no idea. Um, getting on the score sheet a couple of times, um, obviously brought in to help some of those issues, uh, scoring issues that the Union had last year. Sebastian Latou is going to be industrious Sebastian Latou. He was all over the place. Are they going to get enough out of you know, Madonna, who was, who was pretty good last year, and, and obviously Andrew Winger on the, on the left to, to make them a contender for a playoff spot? Still a big question mark in my mind, uh, whether they're going to get enough out of out of that duo to 
to to keep those supply lines open. Uh, for me, the midfield it hasn't quite uh, hit top gear uh, in these first two weeks. I, I think that's shown. Uh, but uh, if the Union continue to play like they have over the first two weeks of the season, uh, I think they, they'll keep themselves in the discussion. Because when you look at it, they should have six points right now. Yeah, uh, they were they they were frustrated with refereeing decisions in that first week. Uh, with good reason. Uh, they were frustrated with referee decisions in the second week with good reason. So uh, it's it, it's been a, a, an odd way for the Union to open the season, I'd say. Yeah, and, and to, to, on the other side, RSL defensively, obviously that was a, a bad performance for them. Uh, Hamas Nalave is going to want that own goal back, uh, clearly. Um, you have Chris Schuler, who has been an injury concern um, throughout most of his career. We know he can play, he can you know be an MLS quality defender, uh, it's even a top level one if he's consistently playing, but they they've shifted their formation under Jeff Kassar, Kyle to a to a four three three, and I, I don't know is it is that something that's going to fundamentally change how we view RSL? I mean they've been so tied into that diamond f- for so long that this seems like an abrupt I mean, even if it's personnel based it seems fairly abrupt. It, it is a shift. Certainly, and RSL, like like most teams in this league, is, is working through it in that first uh, couple of weeks of the season. Uh, I thought it was good for for Omas Garcia to get on the on the score sheet. Uh, they haven't had enough protect, production from Garcia and and Sebastian Jaime um, uh, over the past year or so. Um, so that that was a good uh, good sign for them. Uh, they, they're still working through the particularities of the. Of the four three three, I think you, you might see the diamond at some point. Mm-hmm. At the very least, you could see RSL um, have a little bit more tactical flexibility than they've had in the past, and, and that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of RSL defensively, I, the only thing that I found concerning was the was the poor work in the build up out of the back on the first goal. Uh, it everything else it was sort of fluky, you know, yeah. uh, just. Weird stuff happening, but uh, they've got to got to be careful if they're going to build up out of the back. They've got to do it with a little bit more care than they did uh, in the goal with that first goal. Speaking of weird stuff happening, Clint Dempsey scored in 18 seconds in Seattle to open up that match against the San Jose Earthquakes, and I think everybody who either saw that goal or heard about that goal thought, "Okay, Seattle's going to go on and and win this game at home over a San Jose Earthquakes team." We don't know. We don't know really know what to expect uh, uh, yet, uh, or what to expect out of yet. And then, and then you know, more mistakes, more weirdness. Chris Wondolowski taking advantage, and and here you are, three two winners for San Jose. Uh, is it? Is it? I mean, again, it's MLS, and it's early in the year. Perhaps shocking is not the right word, but I think Seattle has to be a, a little upset about this. Uh, a lot upset, I okay. would think. Uh, when you score inside that the first minute. Uh, and you end up losing the game to a ten-man earthquakes team. I would imagine uh, there was some rancor uh, in that in that Sounders locker room. Uh, but I prefer to focus on the response from San Jose. Uh, that's a team that could have certainly succumbed three or four nil uh, after conceding within the first twenty seconds, uh, and they they found it within themselves to to get back on level pegging. Uh, find ways to exploit uh, the Sounders defensively, and then ride out the storm uh, when they were down at 10 men uh, in the second half after Victor Bernardes, well, did what Victor Bernardes does and, <laughs> and put his team in a bad spot. Yeah. So uh, it's 
it's a good result for the earthquakes, and it, it really gives them something to build upon uh, as they get ready to open a via stadium. And, and, and the defense for Seattle, uh, you know, the Brad Evans experiment at center back, I, I mean, I, can't, I won't say it's a disaster yet, but it certainly hasn't gone well. He looked completely befuddled by, uh, by San Jose's forward movement. If this doesn't work, and, I, and I've seen that Siggy's already on the record saying they'll go out and find a center back, how does that, I mean, Brad Evans is a, is a well-respected guy. He's a leader in that locker room. What do you do with him if this isn't going to work? Oh, you, you squeeze him in somewhere else. And I think when you look at the Sounders roster and, and you looked at, at where the hole was going to be heading into this year, the the center back next to Chad Marshall, that was going to be the spot. So so why not try Brad Evans there, right? He's versatile. He's technically intelligent. Uh, he can you know, play pretty much anywhere. Uh, so I understand the thought process behind trying him at center back. Uh, he's at, he actually played center back for Sigurd Schmidt back in the day uh, with the U.S. Youth National Teams. Uh, has it gone according to plan yet? No. Uh, he wasn't good. Uh, on Saturday night, uh, but I think he was always going to have one of those games mm. as he tries to adjust the position. Uh, the key for me, and I think for Seattle, is to see how he responds to it and whether he can take uh, what he needs to take from that game uh, and really establish himself as the right partner for Chad Marshall going well, forward. The question is, I think a lot of people will be asking, and certainly Seattle fans will point this out as a, as a factor in, in their defensive woes, is how important and what kind of difference does Ozzy Alonso make when he comes back in, in sort of helping to shield Brad Evans a little bit from, from ending up in those positions where you know he's going to get juked out of his pants? Uh, he's everything. Uh, Ozzy Alonso makes all the difference for Seattle. Uh, and he, he wasn't particularly missed uh, in that first game against New England uh, because Seattle was, was just simply so good uh, transitioning from back to front. But you saw how his absence can, can hurt a team uh, against the Earthquakes. Uh, so uh, when he comes back, uh, he's going to make a, a substantive difference, in and I think it's probably best to wait uh, to make a verdict and, until you see how Evans performs with Alonzo in front of him, mm. uh, and how the entire team uh, adjusts to, to having uh, Alonzo back in the fold. On the other side, Dom Kinnear's first win as, as Earthquakes manager. Uh, did you see anything there that was particularly Dom-like? Obviously, Wondolowski capitalizing on some opportunities, and Amagara getting his account opened for them is, is a good sign. But is there, is there any reason to, to be able to... to put San Jose in a box, uh, whether it's playoff contender, also ran, bottom of the conference. Do we have any ideas? No box yet. Uh, I think you have to see how they do at home at Avaya Stadium. I think you have to see how the, the team sort of comes together because this was a this is a sort of trademark Earthquakes win. It, it wasn't really a, a dominant performance, and nor should it be when they were down at 10 men for a long uh, stretch, but it was very opportunistic. Uh, you've got Juan Zalowski taking chances. You had that real flash of quality between uh, Amagara and, and John to to get the eventual winner. Uh, and, and that's what the Earthquakes have been about. They they aren't the team that, that dictates terms to the run of play, but they can cobble stuff together to take advantage uh, of the opposition when, when there's a mistake and and to take, take chances uh, when they can create them. So uh, I think... It, 
all in all, it was a, a positive night for the earthquakes uh, that, that started very poorly, but they were able to put themselves in a position to respond and show the sort of character and grit that they're going to need uh, to get through the season. I'm going to come to uh, Portland and L.A. here in a minute, uh, obviously uh, the closing game of the weekend, but I have neglected two one nothing wins uh, for uh, Orlando and Houston and Vancouver in Chicago. Chicago looks like they may be the worst team in MLS right now, Kyle. And, and I don't know if that's going to hold necessarily, but I, I, don't, I don't see the signs of life that you, you would hope to see, especially after some roster turnover was supposed to reinvigorate them. Uh, Chicago looks adrift to me right now. Uh, that game against Vancouver on Saturday was terrible. It was just a bad soccer game. Uh, and the fire just aside from little bits here and there, uh, there was that one move between Stevens and ship that, you know, created chance and that was fine. But, uh, for the large part, the, the fire were not, were not good. Uh, and they lose to that, that late goal from Rivero on the, on the poor clearance by Palmer. And, mm. uh, there's some work for the fire to do, but that this being said, uh, they're still trying to get everybody together. Uh, they don't have a calm yet. Uh, Maloney's still settling. Uh, Igbon Anike is, is still finding his footing as well. So uh, I, I think you have to wait a couple of weeks to, to make a firm judgment about the fire, but the early returns are, are not encouraging. You know, I, I watched a bit of that game. It was very, very bad. Uh, I thought Harry Ship was, um, you, there wasn't a whole lot of help for him. I thought he was relatively okay considering how bad the team was overall. And you mentioned Sean Maloney. Um, there were some there were some thoughts being put out there, perhaps Kyle, that maybe Maloney underestimated the the fitness level needed for MLS. Is that is that fair at this point? No, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think the the, the more uh, pressing concern for him is the amount of times the midfield was bypassed. Mm. Uh, too many long balls out of the back from uh, Chicago. If Maloney's going to be effective, he needs the ball at his feet. Uh, he needs to be able to turn, and he needs to be able to go towards goal. And there weren't enough of those opportunities for him. I'm not concerned about his fitness. I think he'll be fine. Okay, Orlando with that win in Houston, obviously Tyler Derrick with an absolute gaff uh, to give to gift that win to Orlando. Uh, anything to take away from that match for either side? Not really. Uh, that was not a particularly good game either. Uh, but Orlando City uh, gets that first win and, and, and they'll always cherish it. And boy, did they get it in really weird fashion because <laughs> yeah. Tyler Derrick has had a, a pretty good two weeks across the board, but he is never, ever going to want to watch the replay no, that, of uh, that winning goal. He may have been, he may have been the best goalkeeper in MLS, uh, through, through two weeks, except for that one mistake. And, there was some question about whether or not he was. There was a foul on that play. I mean, he was certainly grabbing and trying everything he could to keep that ball out of the net. I don't, hopefully, there's no. I don't think that we need any retroactive punishment, do we? No, I, I think that goal was punishment enough. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's go to uh, Portland and L.A. again. The game that closed out the weekend. Alan Gordon with the late uh, the late equalizer. Excuse me for the defending champions. Um, when it comes to Portland, I, I mean, I, I was obviously wowed by Darlington Nagby, who I think is going to have a big year. I don't know if that necessarily means goals, Kyle, because that was what we were tracking in all of 2014, and he got one. Um, is this is this a, a setup that's better suited to him? We heard some talk that Caleb Porter's sort of dropping the notion of possession for possession's sake and being more more practical. Uh-huh. Darlington Nagby thrives when he has the ball at his feet and he is able to run into space. Uh, 
and with the Timbers playing as directly as they they have uh, over the first two weeks, I think it creates opportunities for him to do that. Uh, now, you want to see the end product, and, and I think you saw a little bit more of that last night. Uh, he's a guy who can really make a difference consistently uh, when he's able to, to find himself in the right positions. Uh, the only question for him is, will he give you the, the end product? And last night he was able to do so. Well, it certainly helped that uh, Fernando Adi um, finished uh, finished a couple of chances for them. At the same time, though, I, I think at home against the again against the defending champs, the way that game played out, um, this is one of those draws that's not going to feel very good today. No, uh, and Timbers have had a lot of experience with draws that don't feel quite great uh, at home uh, over the past eighteen months or so. Um, you know, they were in a position to, to win that game, certainly. Uh, and, and when you score as late as Adi did with the, with his second, you, you want to see out the game. But uh, credit to the Galaxy. Uh, they didn't have their best stuff, but they were able to grind through it and, and get that, that late equalizer to round Gordon to, to get a point out of it. And, and that's what that's what the Galaxy do. Uh, they, they find ways to get points on days when they don't have everything that they quite want. And, and that's why they they continue to to rest near the top of MLS. Well, they they, they grinded out a, a win last week over Chicago in their home opener, and they're grinding out a, a draw on the road. I mean, no, nothing wrong with four points from two matches for for uh, the Galaxy, but how long is it going to be a grind? Well, I, I think it's going to take a little bit of time to to get everybody on the same page, make sure that everything's clicking uh, as they'd like, uh, but. Uh, the Galaxy are, are well-known for, for starting season slowly. If they're going to do it, they might as well pick up points along the way. So I, I think the the results over the first two weeks are fine, and, and I think they'll get there. It's just a matter of uh, having a little patience and, and trying to work through the inevitable foibles of life without Landon Donovan and Marcelo Sarkis. Cal McCarthy from Fox Soccer, uh, writing over at Inside MLS. Follow that on Twitter, Inside MLS, and file, follow Kyle at Kyle J. McCarthy. Kyle, appreciate uh, the time and the insight as always. Hopefully we'll have you on uh, maybe next week or, or a couple weeks from now to talk some more MLS. Sounds good, my friend. Thanks for having me. There goes Kyle McCarthy. Good stuff from him as always. Let's focus in on New York City. Raf Naboa I. Rivera from Hudson River Blue will join us in just a minute. Talk about NYCFC's big home debut. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Every soccer fan in the world knows that the biggest match of the year is El Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's your chance to witness Cristiano Ronaldo, Lido Messi, and more of the greatest players in the world. The best way to watch is with Dish World and their exclusive broadcast from BN Sports. Dish World is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch El Clasico, plus La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dish World. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss El Clasico on Sunday, March 22nd. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. 
Hey there, it's Jason Davis, and if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com. This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game, and second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play Fantasy Premier League and winning nada, you can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Time to talk about New York City Football Club opening up at Yankee Stadium yesterday with a 2-0 win over the New England Revolution. David Villa with a goal, David Villa with an assist, Patrick Mullins on the end of that one. And to talk about it all, a man who was there... Rafael Naboa y Rivera from Hudson River Blue. Raf, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm good. I um, I'm I'm good. I enjoyed watching that game yesterday. It was mm-hmm. it was an interesting experience uh, on television. Yep. It was a low camera angle. I'm sure you got. I'm sure you heard plenty of that about, about about that. Obviously, the yep. the crowd was large. It was enthusiastic. Maybe they don't quite have the soccer chops yet, Raf, and we can talk about that. Um, but it was sure. it was a good day for New York and a good debut. Just give me a, a summation here of how you feel how every, how everything went. Let's put it this way: forty three thousand five hundred seven people went out to see a soccer game in Yankee Stadium. I mean, you could talk about. Whether or not they have the soccer chops, you know, and that sort of thing, you know, in terms of the chants and the songs and knowing when to cheer and when not to cheer, um, I, you know, let's just get down to the fact that there were forty three thousand five hundred seven people catching a soccer game at Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. a mythic venue, mm-hmm. and on top of that, it was a loud crowd. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, and it that was. Ca- and you know, I. Obviously, I'm at the stadium, so I couldn't tell how it came across on TV. But from everything that I saw, everything that I heard, people emailing, IMing, the whole nine yards, you know, the general consensus was that this was a loud crowd. And this was a crowd that was worthy of being in Yankee Stadium. Um, And, you know, in talking to players, both Revolution players and New York City players, that was sort of the general consensus that mm-hmm. the crowd made its presence felt, particularly mm-hmm. in the second half. Mm-hmm. Certainly seemed that way. Uh, there was a good New England contingent as well, as you would yep. expect, coming down I-95. Mm-hmm. And, and they were loud, and they were, uh, they were giving some stick to, to New York and the whole where is, uh, where is Frank Lampard situation. Which oh, absolutely. Was, which was, absolutely. Uh, you know, that's what you want. You want to build a, a little bit of a rivalry in the, yeah. in the region. Um, New York and Boston are, are certainly uh, no... no uh, strangers to, to rivalries 
you know, Raf, again, it, it was sort of, okay, we were all set, not for disaster, but there was a lot yeah. of questions over the field surface and whether or not it was going to play well enough for this game. And certainly there was, uh, it was, it was narrow. We knew, we, we kind of knew that going in. You have to try to squeeze a soccer pitch onto a baseball outfield. It's going to be difficult. Right. Um, but in the end, I mean, I, I guess what you could say is everything went off with a, without a relative hitch. Now, 43,507 people out at Yankee Stadium. By the way, new Yankee Stadium. I'm just, I'm just kind of a, I'm just want to be a little pedantic about this. Lots no, of, you're totally <laughs> right, because that is not, in fact, the house that Ruth built. This is, and everybody's talking about, oh, the last time there was a big crowd, the Cosmos played, whoever, right. you know, whoever came over in 1973. Different building, people. That building was across the street. They tore it down. This is a different place. Um, yeah. It doesn't take away from the fact that there was a big crowd and they were excited to see soccer there. Sure. Um, and but but then again, they're not going to get forty three thousand people out every single time. the The field may eventually be a, a problem. It's certainly going to limit. So and look, Jason Christ is a is a guy who likes a narrow four four two diamond anyway. So maybe this is fine. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not. It, it's it's not ideal. So I I guess my question for you, Raf, is when you look at that crowd and when you see the enthusiasm there, will it carry over? Are we going to absolutely see New York City Football Club? draw big big enough crowds to to kind of declare this a success as we then you know through the next couple of years go through the process of a of the team trying to find a permanent venue here's the thing this clearly was a historic moment and there's always the novelty of going out checking something out and taking it all in and all that stuff as you mentioned, the real question is going to happen um, when they're playing the Colorado Rapids in the middle of July. You know, when they're competing with the New York Yankees, um, occupying that same stadium. I mean, it's one thing for them to play now uh, when the Yankees are down in spring training and going through that whole set of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a whole other issue um, in the middle of J- July, June, August, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, much more. Um, pronounced next year and the year after, and you know even the year after that, because let's not have any illusions here. You know, even if they announce a stadium plan at the end of this season, it's still going to be years before everything is set in place for them to move in. You know, mm-hmm. um, and they are nowhere near close to doing that as we talk right now. Mm-hmm. So. These are all valid questions. I think you know this year is a honeymoon year. You know they're going to go ahead and they're going to draw crowds this year just because of the novelty of it all. I think the other factor, and you can never discount this when discussing New York sports, is if the team is a consistent, proven performer on the field, if they are winning, if they are playing quote-unquote, attractive soccer, Mm -hmm. that's also going to make a difference. New York York City fans are going to go watch a team that's in contention for a playoff spot, in contention for a league title. They may not necessarily watch a team that is winless in its last six or seven games. And that's the open question. If they can keep up this kind of performance, if they can put together wins and draws and all the rest, that's going to clearly make a difference in terms of the attendance. Yeah, look, I mean, it was great to see see David Villa score the first home goal and then set up Mm -hmm. Patrick Wellens for the second and be such a a gigantic influence in that team. That's why he was paid the big bucks to come over. um, And, 
you know, you, you need that hook. I mean, the day out and and being part of that crowd is is kind of its own reward in a lot of ways. Sure. If you've ever been part of a big soccer crowd, I mean, it it's intoxicating whether the game's zero zero or five nothing. Yeah. Um, but to see David Villa actually put up that kind of performance in front of that crowd has got to be, you know, he's got to auger well for the future. Oh, it absolutely does. And, you know, in talking to David after the game and in talking to fans, um, you know, after the game at the same time, you know, what was really clear was that the two were feeding off of each other. You know, the same way that you watch, um, you know, if you've ever gone and seen, you know, a you know, vintage performer like a Bruce Springsteen, you know, play a big crowd, you know, you'd know when a performer is playing to that crowd and you know when they're delivering something a little bit extra right. um, in terms of their performance. And you could definitely see that, particularly in the second half in terms of David Villa, because, you know, you would see him circulating the ball to the other players, you know, and the fans would be screaming out, ole, ole, ole. And so you could clearly see him playing to the crowd, and he admitted as much right. when I talked to him after right. the game. Uh, now, look, this, uh, they got a draw last week in Orlando to open up the season. Yeah. Um, you could say it was maybe a bit undeserved. Uh, mm-hmm. They certainly were, were not played off the park, but Orlando controlled large swatch, uh, swaths of that game. Yesterday, yeah. New England had their chances. Let's not say this was a perfect performance by NYCFC. It certainly wasn't. Adam mm-hmm. Nemich was a disaster in front of goal, although he did some very nice things in terms of the, the hold-up play. And, yep. and flick-ons and that kind of thing. But it was a, it was a step forward. So what did you see, uh, to get into the analysis of it a bit, what did you see that was different from one week to the next, if anything? And, and how do they maintain this momentum with David Villa being so key? Well, here's the thing. Um, the key to New York City here is the midfield. The, the back line's becoming more and more settled. Um, I, now that Shea Facey is here on loan, I think you're going to actually see him start more games, um, particularly as he, get, as he gets more acclimated. But really, the midfield is the key here. And there was one key change from last week to this week. Um, last week, Medi Bellucci played in the midfield. Um, this week, Sebastian Velasquez played in his stead. And you could clearly see that uh, New York City's midfield was a lot more fluid mm-hmm. um, in terms of playing within each other and reading off of each other and that sort of thing. There was a lot more East and West passing taking place last week, particularly in terms of mix um, being involved, and a lot more North-South passing this week. Um, And that bodes well because that means that David Villa is getting more involved in the run of play. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what you want because, you know, he's a striker and he's going to drop to get the ball, but you don't really want him dropping as much as he was dropping last week in order to get the ball and be able to create things because he's not a midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a work in progress. I, they're missing people, um, particularly if uh, if Christ wants to be playing his narrow four four two diamond. He doesn't have a Kyle Beckerman in this no, lineup. No. Um, Andrew Jacobson is lined up in that position right now. He's not a number six Beckerman type player. He's more of a number eight box-to-box midfielder. Um, and he's underrated in that position. So the, there's two things that are at issue here. A, I think they benefited from the fact that they were playing on a postage stamp. Hmm. Um, so we'll see what, you know, what's that like next week against Colorado, playing in altitude, uh, playing in a soccer-specific stadium. The other thing to keep in mind, and you know, I'll circle back to the whole Frank Lampard thing. Frank Lampard 
is ostensibly coming in the summer. I mean, he signed the contract, he's coming over and that sort of thing. So that in and of itself is also going to have an impact right. in terms of how New York City play the ball in the summer and in talking to Claudio Reyna this past week and, uh, you know, after the game, you know, he's been very insistent that they are going to sign, you know, a third designated player. Mm. Um, and so the suspicion is that that third designated player is going to be part of that midfield, whether it's going to be a Daniel De Rossi, um, you know, essentially serving as Christ's, you know, Beckerman and that sort of thing, or somebody up at the number 10 position, maybe a Wesley Snyder, somebody like that. Either way, you know, those two players and I'm just using him as an example. I have no information that leads that should lead anybody to believe that New York City is on the verge of signing either. Um, would be a massive upgrade for the midfield. Sure. sure. Well, okay. You'd have some some issues with moving not not issues, but you would have to move some pieces. I'm assuming that would push Mix out to a wide position. Absolutely. Yeah. He is much better. Uh, you know, historically, if you look at Mix, he's much better operating off of the shoulder of a number eight, number six type midfielder mm-hmm. than he is operating centrally mm-hmm. just because he doesn't have the offensive vision um, in order to be able to lay down the roof um, the way that a number 10, the true number 10 would and set up those killer passes to the forwards like David Villa, like a Adam Nemish or, you know, and then he doesn't have the defensive chops in terms of tracking back. He's done a lot better that lately, but that's not his game. Yeah. It never has been. Well, you, you obviously he, he's, he is going to roam. He's obviously going to cut in and therefore he's, he's not going to play wide in the sense of of a winger type player so no. so he might work in the in the diamond that I, then I have a question about where Lampard is playing if if there is a De Rossi type player in the in the lineup if there right. is a signing there so that, that's that opens up a question and then uh, anyway uh, these are these are questions for later on i mean right now it's a, it's, it's yeah. you play with what you got they get a big win you know uh, something that that we talked about in the lead up and it was a lot of there was a lot of negativity ref and you know that you've been covering yeah. it at the blog and certainly i think we could overdo it a bit when you have a day like sure. yesterday washes some of those things away but there are i i want to come back to some of the restrictions on the fans now look when you've got forty three thousand in the building maybe yeah. those aren't really a concern but when you're and 15,000 uh, season ticket sales, that's a strong base. But if you're getting 18,000, 20,000 people in, into the building on a regular basis, and that's kind of where your, 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 your high, high watermark is, not to be able to have the TIFOs and the signs and to do some of those things, I don't expect flares and the like, but some of those other things, that may, that may limit a bit what, what can be done in terms of the fans. I think yes and no. I mean, there's one, there's definitely a way in which. You know, we can look at it and we can say, you know, okay, so you can't have the TFOs, you can't do the things um, that you would have, you know, at a Red Bull Arena, for instance, um, or at a Century Link, or at a Providence Park, you know, what have you. And those definitely matter. Absolutely, they do. I think, and I say this as somebody who is not involved in supporters' culture in that sense. I think that that then opens up. Um, the horizons for you to be a bit more creative. Interesting. In terms of how you approve, I like this. You, I like it, Raph. I like that attitude. I don't know if it's no, gonna... no, no. I think, I think you know. I think we get into, and you know, I say this with, I say this as somebody who is a geek, who's you know, who swaps comic books even now with his friends, you know, plays board games and that sort of thing. Who's been you know deeply involved in various fandoms, um, 
which is why I tend to be very hesitant about criticizing real fans and that sort of thing. I mean, as somebody who used to be a radio DJ, I that debate, that quote unquote debate, drives me up the wall. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that there's such a thing as a real fan. I think if you no, like something, you. that you. you're a real fan. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is that. You know, I think a lot of times, particularly in terms of MLS, you know, we look at the supporter, the big, like, big time, like, supporter culture thing as almost like soccer fan cosplay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We get into, we get involved in this sort of, like, rhythm, like, yeah, I'm going to wear my scarf and I'm going to have the TIFO and it's all about the TIFO and that sort of thing. And you sort of tend to lose sight of the larger thing, which is that you're there to, like, support the team Mm -hmm. and you're there to have, you know, a recognizable impact you know on the surroundings i think if you go for example um to selhurst park in southwest london you know to where crystal palace plays you know they don't have tifos right at selhurst park but if you've ever caught a game there or if you watch it on tv Mm -hmm. that is one loud and intimidating place yeah no there's absolutely plenty of room for the culture to developed to incubate in Yankee Stadium that uh, where all of those accoutrements of the the other right. elements of supporter culture don't necessarily have to follow along and I, and, I did, and I will say and I will say you know to the whole point of the tifos you know the fact that they couldn't have like an actual like tifo in the way, in the sense that you know you would have one set up at Red Bull Arena did not stop the third rail guys from actually unrolling a tifo of their own okay. you know the red you know our city art club et cetera et cetera et cetera you know, that was clearly visible. All right. Uh, you know what? I also, and, and look, I'm not saying that this sort of chanting doesn't happen in other MLS cities. We, sure. We're going to borrow from other sports. But I did notice that when Kyrie Shelton was coming on as a substitute um, in the second half, there was a little bit of that bleacher creature name chanting going on for him, yeah. which, I, which I thought was kind of cool. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not going to be that kind of person who says, oh, that's baseball's thing. We shouldn't be no. doing that. No, it's, it, you're in the Yankee Stadium. It's part of being a New York, uh, a New York fan. And if you happen to root for the Yankees, why not bring it over to NYCFC as well? I mean, it, it, there's an obvious connection there. So I can kind and of I, see what you're talking about, Raph. It's good stuff. Yeah. And I, would, and I would say, you know, real quick, you know, for as much as we talk about the, you know, the organic soccer chants, the biggest one. For the recent years, the I you know I believe I can win. Yeah, that know. was straight up lifted I from know. the Naval Academy. I know <laughs> from college basketball. I know. So well, you here's, know, so it's a little hilarious to hear um, soccer fans talking about like, ah, you gotta be organic. I know, I know, I know, I know. It, it gets it gets a little inside baseball. No pun intended. Well, actually, yes, exactly. Sure. Pun intended. Totally, um, that was a great pun. <laughs> in in, a, in about a minute or less here, because I wanted to open up the yeah. lines for phone calls today. I, and uh, you obviously you're going to be on a bias, uh, have a biased perspective, perspective being a New York City FC guy. Yeah. But I saw a lot, so much of this from my my Twitter follows, fan, uh, people that I know and like. A lot of whining on the Red Bull side of things when it came to the treatment of NYCFC. When it came to Don Garber congratulating New York City on this day and forty three thousand and everything else. And I get it. You you feel you feel you're a little upset. We've been around for 20 years. Yeah, we play in Jersey, but we're still a New York team. I, I don't know. From your perspective, I I, I tell I want to tell them to shut up, but I think that's a little cruel. Is there something to be said for the Red Bulls being redheaded stepchild already? Nah, no, no. And I here's the thing. I think nobody would deny that NY two however you define that, okay, has been 
Don Garber's holy grail since becoming um, commissioner. And yeah, I mean, there's definitely a whole lot of that taking place yesterday um, in terms of the pregame ceremonies and congratulating him and everybody back patting each other and so on and so forth. And, you know, and that's fine. Ultimately, though, um, I think a lot, I think, you know, for as much as you want to, you know, say point the finger at MLS, if you want to do that, I think if you're a Red Bull fan, and I don't know that any Red Bulls fans would disagree here, I think the bigger issue is the fact that the team, you know, the actual like management of the team has never really made an affirmative case you know, until very late on for why this, you know, for why the Red Bulls should be considered New York's, mm-hmm. you know, team. And that's something that came up over and over and over again as I talked with fans yesterday. You know, I went to a game of Red Bull Arena and I just didn't feel welcome. Um, or I went to uh, a game at Red Bull Arena and the you know there was just something lacking about the atmosphere. Or, you know, I went to a game there and I just, you know, I just, the team has just never really spoken to me yeah. or, you know, Link, you know, reached out to me or, you know, made that emotional connection to me. Well, okay, and, that some of that stuff is not necessarily on the Red Bull. Some of that stuff's on those individual fans and how they process well, everything. And, and, and like, I, I'm, I'm not going to call anybody out here. That's not my point. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm all in for a rivalry between these two clubs in a very large market that has plenty of room and throw the Cosmos in, too. They're making some 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 waves. They're getting some headlines. Yeah, they play on on Long Island in in a, in a soccer. I mean, in a college stadium. But still, there there's room there um, for for this to be a very vibrant soccer atmosphere. That's why we that's oh, why we absolutely we, oh, absolutely we, we joke oh, around absolutely. with the New York Soccer Wars thing. But it's true to a certain extent. And if I'm running, uh, I'll give you last word here in a second, ref. But if I'm running okay. the Red Bulls and I'm running their marketing team, man, I'm I am infiltrating. NYCFC territory. I'm going around the city, not Jersey. I'm going to the city, and I'm doing, mm-hmm. uh, I'm doing some some guerrilla marketing that can get yep. get my name out there a little bit more. Set me apart from NYCFC. Highlight those differences, whatever they are. You want to just make it about red and blue? Fine, make it about red and blue. That's uh, one of the oldest uh, elements of, of English soccer. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and that's to me. That to me is the thing that's really shocking to me that I have that I just really haven't seen a whole lot of from the Red Bulls and also from the Cosmos. Let me go ahead and I'll elaborate on this real quickly. Um, look, that's precisely what you want to do. You want to not just emphasize if you're the Red Bulls, you don't want to just emphasize the fact that you're a you know, New York team. You want to emphasize that history. And to their credit, they've been doing that lately. Okay, mm-hmm. let's give them credit for that. They've been doing that late, but they need to really amp that up. And yeah. I think now that New York City FC is like an actual honest to goodness team on the field playing games, I think you're going to see that a lot more. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, from the perspective of the Cosmos, you know, the thing that's always struck me about the Cosmos is just this weird, um, almost fetishistic um, Callouts to that, you know, seven, six, seven year period when they had Pele and Beckenbauer and Carlos Alberto um, and all those players. And it really ignores the really fascinating history of the team prior to that. Mm-hmm. You know, you had a guy in Randy Horton, 
um, their first big striker uh, yeah. back in 1971. They won their first league title, who was legitimately an intimidating, menacing figure in front of goal. And you never hear the Cosmos yeah. talk you about You know, we don't have time to go through the whole Cosmos history. You know, what I'm getting at is that you know these are all things that both teams should be playing up, and for sure. whatever reason, they haven't yet. And I'm really hoping that the fact that you now have a legit you know, third option in New York City FC that it now spurs and creates Hope that so. really genuine, right? You know, rivalry. I hope so. And on I, the field and off. I, I got a couple of. There's a tweet here from uh, from Greg. He says, "Totally unfair to say Red Bull fans are whining. The concern of being marginalized is real. We are not fringe lunatics. I'm not making you out to be lunatics. I just think it's." No, um, you know, I'm not calling him. I'm no, no, not I know you're not. Yeah, I, got, uh, I, re- I got lots of respect. For Raph, him. I got a call on the air. Why don't we drop uh, R- uh, Robert from L.A. in here real quick before I let you go. Robert, what's up? Yeah. Hey, Jason, I, uh, I wanted to ask you about them, uh, uh, Minnesota, you know, getting, possibly getting that next uh, expansion spot. Right, we're, we're taking asking, a left turn. <laughs> uh, do you see the final spot you're going to Sacramento or Miami? Because I feel no matter how good – Sacramento does it's not it's gonna it's not gonna matter compared to David Beckham's name. No, uh, Ro- Robert. Can I, uh, Robert, can I answer that real quick. <laughs> no, because oh. you're here to talk about New York City FC, Rev. <laughs> I, I know you're new, the new expansion kid on the block. Uh, your team kind of popped up in a very different way than the rest of it. Here's what I'm gonna do. I didn't realize Robert was gonna ask uh, uh, expansion questions. And Raph, I'd love to keep you around, but we're gonna move on. Yeah, Appreciate yeah. the time. Rafael Naboa y Rivera from Hudson River Blue. Let's take a let's take a quick break. When I come back, I will keep Robert around and we will talk about this expansion situation. Take your phone calls, 347-756-6276. Soccer morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning. I'm on the phone with Robert from L.A. who called in to ask about the expansion situation in MLS. Came up on the ESPN broadcast yesterday. Um, All signs point to Minnesota United getting an MLS bid, uh, working to put a stadium in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, And Robert... Your question, if I, I'm going to restate your question for you. If I'm wrong, tell me. With Minnesota United seeming like a lock, you, you think that Miami might jump over Sacramento if Beckham can get his crap together? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, because you know I'm a Gar, uh, well, because has been talking about it, and he, well, he's already been there. He has like that photo off of him holding the T-shirt of Miami, and he hasn't gone to Sacramento. I know they sent some like executives, but I just feel that. It's going to go to Miami, no matter all the good things that Sacramento did. Look, I think that would be, obviously we would call that unfair. Now, MLS has has twisted and turned their expansion rules, the expansion criteria several different times. I don't think they apply anymore, and I think you should stop worrying about whether or not they apply anymore. That being said, I think it would be a travesty if Sacramento doesn't get rewarded with a team. And also, I don't know that Beckham's anywhere near getting his crap together. And there's also no, uh, there's also no prescription against MLS going past the number of teams that they've said, 24 teams or whatever. I mean, if Beckham is ready, 
MLS will go to Miami. I have no doubts about that. I don't know that that necessarily means Sacramento gets left out, though. And I appreciate the call, Robert. You can move on. Washington's on the on the line. Washington, you were hey, out, you were at the stadium hey, what's up, yesterday. Jason? How are you doing, man? I'm good. You were out at the stadium yesterday, right? Yes, I was. Yes, I was. I loved it. I mean, I waited 20 years for this. The performance and the atmosphere made it worth every second of the wait because I loved it. I had a great time. There are two things I want to talk to you about, though. One is, just because I loved it yesterday doesn't make me any less passionate of the fact that we need our own stadium. Okay. Um, I mean, and one of the things yesterday, there were a couple of questionable offside calls, and I really think, I honestly believe this, I think the ref made those calls because the landmarks for him were off because we were playing on a slanted field. You know what, Washington? Taylor, Taylor Twelman made that exact point on the, on the broadcast. Taylor Twelman said that exact same thing, and I, I think you're probably right. Oh, there you go. There you go. The other thing that I want to ask you, I actually want to ask you this, because yesterday was a good flow for David Villa. It was like he was the star. Everybody played to him, and he, he did his part, and he played to, to, to the rest of the team and to the crowd, but, and, and that's great. I love that. I'm just worried, and I wonder if, if you can tell me if you think I'd like to be worried or not. When Frank Lampard shows up, is it going to be, okay, well, now there's two of us, let's play together, let's get this done, or is it going to be, well, who's is bigger, and that rivalry is going to bring negativity to the field? No, I, don't, I, well, I, don't think, I honestly don't think that V is that type of personality. I mean, he obviously played to the fans yesterday, put on a show. I don't think he's. I don't think you're going to have like you know who's the BMOC in New York. I don't think that's going to be a thing, Washington. I think you'll probably be fine. Don't worry about that too much. Thanks a lot, Jason. They're, they're both getting paid, right? I mean, they're both going to be big stars. I, I don't think it's an issue. Four one seven. You're on the air. Yes. Good morning. This is Al speaking from Springfield, Missouri. What's up, Al? And um, doing fine. Doing fine. I wanted to one question. Um about the New York Cosmos and their stadium situation, plus um, the New York um, FC team, it was reported that um, at the end of that Don Governor may have sabotaged it and everything. That's <laughs> going on. But is it still, is it, are they still going to have a stadium for the um, Cosmos? Or okay. Is that a dead issue? I'll tell you what I know, and we talked about this with Dave Martinez last week. Actually, that was, I think, the Friday's episode, Al. So if you missed that, go back and listen to it. I asked, it, I asked Dave Martinez specifically, what the situation was with the Cosmo Stadium. He said as far as he knew, there was no movement. They had uh, maybe expected something to come down in January and did not. As for the rumors slash report that, that, as you put it, Don Garber sabotaged the stadium, I, I think that there may be a possibility, and I don't have confirmation about this, and that's why I'm not saying it flat out, and Dave Martinez of Empire of Soccer is looking into it. There may be a possibility that MLS is lobbied against the Cosmos getting a stadium partly because that would hurt NYCFC's chances of getting a stadium in the general stadium fatigue type of sense. I don't know what bodies or governing bodies are in, in charge of um, you know, the, the differences between, between those things. I, I don't know whether there'd be any crossover between a Cosmo Stadium and an NYCFC stadium in terms of who has to approve it, who has to uh, pass bills and all of those things. I, I don't know that sabotage is the right word, and I think that if you're if you're being honest about this, uh, uh-huh. if if MLS is protecting their interests, then them lobbying against a, a Cosmos Stadium is is probably par for the course. And if there was a chance that the Cosmos were going to lose out on a stadium because of MLS, I guarantee you they would lobby in the same in the same way. 
true. Right. Sure. I can see the possibility of a new stadium up in um up in New York now with the um the New York Islanders no longer playing at their at the arena there. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of possibilities. How how long and how far they'll have to go to get them to get there is is an open question. Thanks for the call, Al. I appreciate it. Four three one two. You're on the air. Hey, this is Andrew from Chicago. What's going uh, I just on? I wanted man? to call in to completely disagree uh, with Cal McCarthy. Uh, what, what about what? <laughs> about the about the fire? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, about the fire. <laughs> basically, he was saying, and I've heard this from many sources, that basically they just need old time to get together. Um, but I just think it's. I don't know. It's really hard as a fan because he's, he's, we saw this last season where they were just so poor. But, I mean, look at uh, New York City and Orlando. These are new teams. Where, where's their time to get together? They both uh, crushed this weekend. So, I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm just i totally kind of lost. And uh, No, I'm with <laughs> you. I'm with you. I think that patience has got to be running out in, uh, in Chicago. Uh, clearly... Hotman and the ownership has decided that their best, uh, the best way for them to operate this club is in sort of a middle class area. I mean, they, they smack of the union in, in that way. Uh, not they don't bring in a big coaching name. Okay, Frank Gallup is one thing; he knows this league. That's fine. But you bring in players who may be may be good, maybe okay, maybe could 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 uh, thrive in MLS eventually, but are not on the level of what an NYCFC is bringing in or. Or even, um, I don't know, even New England with Jermaine Jones and Juan Agadello. So I, I understand why you would be yeah. frustrated. And I, again, I don't know. I mean, you can't count on Mike McGee to catch lightning in a bottle and score 25 goals. You, you can't count. That's, Go ahead. That's the thing, Jason. Sorry, it's already interrupted. But I, I just don't, I don't get it. They brought in three DPs, right? So I don't know what, what I, yeah, I mean, you look at these other teams. I mean, the crew, they're always talked down to how they're this smaller market, they're doing it. And so what is the solution for a team like Chicago? Yeah, that a couple of things that a bigger market, but they're bringing these random guys who just don't seem to be doing anything. Yeah, a couple of things about the difference in Columbus and Chicago that I think are interesting is Columbus found, and they, they, they've obviously made a habit of this because they had Federico Iguay, or sorry, uh, Gonzalo, um, sorry, Guillermo Barros-Colotto. They bring in uh, Federico Iguain to be... You know, to be that playmaker, to be that that influential player in the middle of the field, and then they sort of build around him. And now they've got Greg Berhalter, who has brought a, mm, I'm going to say, a stylistic wrinkle to MLS in terms of what he wants to do with that team and how he plays. And for a while last year, it was working really well. Then it it didn't work for a while, but they they've actually you know they managed to find a kind of a happy middle ground. And you add Kai Kamara to that mix, and maybe they are a contender. Where Chicago has they just continue to kind of scramble for a name, a guy who, who can be um, consistent enough, who can find, I, I don't know, find his legs. You don't have that Iguain-like figure in Chicago. Maybe that's the key, or maybe it's something well, else. Maybe it's a maybe it's a tactical wrinkle. I don't know, Andrew. Well, there was all this Jermaine Jones, man. I mean, the whole Jermaine J- Jones saga, and I just. Uh... I didn't. I didn't believe in it when it happened. I didn't think he'd be that good. But then, when you see New England, he actually made an impact. So, is it just a matter of buying a instead of fooling around with all these like random uh, third tier DPs, just buying a single DP that can do something? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Orlando I mean, and New York that they actually. I mean, they don't have all their guys yet, but they have these one key players, and they can build around. Yeah, but the same, at the same time, look, Andrew, at the same time, thanks for the call, man. At the same time, uh, FC Dallas is doing it without 
that big name DP. They're doing it with some other guys, maybe not third tier, but the reason they're not third tier is because they've made a name for themselves um, in MLS and proven that they can play. I, I don't know. It, it's a, it's got to be a rough time in Chicago. Um, they have sort of Chicago as a franchise has sort of been left behind just a little bit, not only because they haven't been as proactive as needed as they need to be in terms of their coaching situation, in terms of the players that they sign, Maybe they're cheap, although I'm not sure that that's the right label, but they're certainly not living up to the market size of Chicago. So that's that that doesn't match up. And then you have, you know, that stadium's out in Bridgeview, and I haven't been there, so I'm not going to make any broad judgments here. But when you have teams getting their buildings in these urban centers, downtown, lots of vibrant atmosphere, I think teams like Colorado, Chicago, uh, FC Dallas to a point, although Oscar Perea has proven that he's, a really, really good coach, and they've made some good signings. I don't know. I don't think there's a there's obviously not a overriding catch all formula that works for everybody. You just got to keep keep working at it. Three four seven seven five six. Actually, no, we're out of time, aren't we? I was going to give the phone number out. I think I missed somebody's phone call, but let's go ahead and wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Monday. Thanks again to Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer for joining us. Rafael Nabori Rivera from Hudson River Blue. Make sure you check out uh, his work over at SB Nation as he covers NYCFC. They're actually playing games now. He can finally write about games. Fantastic stuff. Also, Draft11.com, sponsor of the show. Very fun daily fantasy games over there. Match, one uh, single day match day fantasy games. Very cool. And make sure you're checking out Dishworld. Seriously. It's a fantastic service. Not only do you get uh, BN Sport, which is where you can see La Liga, Serie A, and uh, a bunch of other soccer games. You also have One World World Sports, which is where the New York Cosmos uh, play on television. And there's a bunch of other stuff. I mean, international television available at your fingertips. All right, I'm out of here. It's good discussion. I'm sorry if I offended any of of you Red Bull fans. Maybe we can carry that over tomorrow. If you pay four months up front, you get a free Roku stick for 50% oh, or 50% off Roku 3. So there you go. Trevor's hooking it up. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye.